0: Hi, and welcome to Indiewire's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the editor of the Toolkit. Before we get started today, um, we took a little time off after the Oscars and uh, kind of regrouped a little bit, got some new equipment. Hopefully, everything's going to start sounding a little bit better. And uh, we have decided that we're going to go weekly every Thursday, we're going to drop a new podcast. Um, We're gonna keep going all the way through August, so there should be a new episode every week, every Thursday. Come May, we might start getting into um, talking to some top showrunners for TV. Um, My guest today, though, is Walter Hill, whose new film, The Assignment, um, is hitting theaters tomorrow. Um, Walter Hill is a guy who's been around for a really long time, Uh, in my opinion. I I really believe he's one of uh, the most underrated directors, in particular, action directors, over the last 40 years. films like The Driver, Warriors. This is a guy who was the first one to option Aliens and kind of oversaw that project from a producing standpoint and did a lot of uncredited rewrites of the first three films and uh, directed the pilot of Deadwood. And this is a guy who has um, always made very gritty, very lurid uh, genre films um, with such a concise, sparse language that really captures um, not only they're just are they just amazing films to watch in their economy of filmmaking, but he's always seemed to tap in on some element of what's going on in society. And uh, he's someone that's starting to be recognized again. People like Tarantino, Edgar Wright um, are really big directors are paying tribute to him and saying, "Look, this guy this guy has been big, a big part of you know film history for the last 40 years." Which is why this uh, new film the assignment is a little tricky <laughs> uh, Jude Dry, *Indy Wires great writer reporter is here to talk about it a little bit before we, we cut into my interview with Walter you know the assignment is uh, like a lot of other Walter Hill films' it's, it's gritty it's genre based um, Frank Kitchen played by Michelle Rodriguez uh, was a hitman. Um, he kills Sigourney Weaver's um, brother in the movie, I guess even before the movie starts. And as revenge, she's a doctor. Um, she performs, she kidnaps him, knocks him out, drugs him, and performs a gender reassignment surgery. And so the film becomes a revenge film. Frank Kitchen waking up being a woman um, and, and trying to revenge with lots of murder, Hitman style. And uh, Sigourney Weaver's this, this doctor, um, kind of a Nietzsche-like character, kind of outside the boundaries of the world, who, um, who does perform normal, every day transgender, um, g- uh, gender reassignment surgeries, and uh, this kind of revenge tale between the two of them. But there's an element here, right, Jude? And Walter talks about it. Um, he confronts it head on. But gender reassignment is a odd um, plot device.
1: It certainly is, Chris. And first of all, uh, the first indication you can tell is that actually the the proper terminology these days is gender confirmation surgery, which I think is interesting because they they changed that from gender reassignment because the idea is that you're confirming your gender, you know, your gender identity that you've always connected to. So, but in this case, that wouldn't be correct, right? Because it is about, you know, reassigning someone's gender who never wanted it in the first place and, you know, aside from using what's a very personal and intimate um, decision for many trans people and gender nonconforming people as a, a plot device, um, there's also at the basis this idea that, you know, oh, what's straight, you know, that the worst punishment for any man would be to wake up and find himself a woman. Um, so even just from a feminist standpoint, I think it's, it's um, problematic as well. Um, but yeah, I think the title says a lot that, that um, it's just interesting, and we've been discussing that that Walter Hill would choose, you know, this subject matter as uh, the central plot point. It's not some side scene, you know. It's the entire movie. That's what this film. Yeah, we didn't scene. just spoil it. That's right.
0: that's the <laughs> setup. That's that's the setup. Is that you know, somewhere around minute fifteen, you know, Frank Kitchen wakes up, you know naked Michelle Rodriguez in a hotel room.
1: Yeah, and he's got these bandages on that look like he's a mummy, you know. She she just unwraps her face and there's gorgeous Michelle Rodriguez. No bruising, no pain. Um, and, you know, her the way her costume is wrapped, these bandages sort of strategically placed over her breasts, um, uh, you know, that's n- very far from realistic uh, in many ways, obviously. Um, and I think what you and I have discussed also is just the that he seems to want to be, uh, I think, had he, you know, stayed outside the realm of, of realism even further and just, you know, why why couldn't she just wake up as a woman and it's unexplained and it's a slightly alternate universe where we don't really know what's going on. You know, he had to focus on this medical transition, which is, you know, in, in the larger transgender conversation is... Trans people in general are just sick of having to talk about their medical transition, and you know we're trying to move away from, uh, and trans advocates are trying to move away from focusing on that. You know,
0: because um, of this idea, and I like this, and I, I, you know, I apologize for using the wrong term, but that that the idea of confirmation surgery makes is 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 the sense of affirming who you are, and and making it a little bit less about. A procedure, right, and, and making it about and making it about being who who, who you are inside and, and who you feel, right? Is that?
1: Yeah, exactly. And also just the media, you know, if you can think back to like, Maury in the '90s, it was always about, oh, wow, look at this reveal, like, yeah. Um, you know, and there's we're also trying. I think trans advocates are trying to move towards embracing gender nonconforming people and people who don't transition mm-hmm. and not, you know, that this idea that I think. Gender identity is often hard for um, people to wrap their heads around um, because it's so black and white. Like these are men, these are women, and so um, you know people who don't transition really defy that um, that thinking a lot. And I, so, yeah, just to bring it back to the movie, um, it's difficult. It's because
0: it's so loaded. I mean, this is what, this is. I mean, and you'll get to hear Walter talk about this. Um, and I, you know, I want I want him to speak in his own terms. He's, he's an intelligent man. I don't. I mean, this is not a rube. You know, I mean? this is mm-hmm. a, this is a guy. And I, I think one of the things that's most difficult is is that for him, this isn't a transgender movie. For him, this is like a revenge story. And this is, and in the sense that Frank Kitchen killed Sargent Weavy's brother, like her using what she does to seek revenge and to to. Put a man in a woman's body is like is this kind of like almost comic book dual element story there and i think there's two things for me one is i'm just not sure based on what we're talking about right now and all these things that i mean you've said it so much better than i can but these conversations we're having about uh, what it means to be transgender and supporting the transgender community I just don't know that this surgery is something that can be a plot point. Like it just feels like it comes, and I had that problem watching it, I just don't know that I could take it as simply like, you know, there's so many, I think of the, I know this sounds like an insignificant thing, but I think about the, the controversy we're having with this Pepsi ad. You know, we've seen this whole Kumbaya come together, cultural divide, you know, some brand bringing us all together. But it's like for that one, it's like it's it's visually referencing Black Lives Matter. It's re- visually referencing some of these like protests that we're having right now, and you can't pull in Donald Trump and Black Lives Matter and police killing Eric Gardner and think like you're going to be able to do this jumping over. Some of these things are so loaded; they're so they're felt so intensely, and it it just it's got to be more than a pop point. But I think then there's also this element that and. And that. it's a huge
1: slap in the face, too, that to, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are many trans women who would love to look like Michelle Rodriguez, you know, um, and it's something people save up money for years and years and years and insurance doesn't cover and it's not always the effect you hoped it would be. And um, so it is really trivializing to a major life decision for people that people grapple with these things their entire lives yeah and they, and, they, and they keep emphasizing how good sigourney weaver is at her
0: <laughs> job and what beautiful work she did right you know because it's like we're just staring half this movie at michelle rodriguez naked right um and kind of and but, they, but i think there's also that element which is that this movie does talk about gender this movie does in some ways it's comic booky it's lurid it's it, it, it's hit man kind of violence. But there is like he's not skirting issues of gender, and and and
1: Sigourney right. It's just Weaver... that his idea about gen- his <laughs> ideas about gender are very antiquated, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and they're also talking about transgender issues and Sigourney Weaver performing the surgery in her practice. Well, I guess she's mm-hmm. black market, but you know, like there's this element where it's like not only I don't think can you have it just be as a plot point and not pull it with, um, but I think there's also just this that the the, the element of like he's not leaving these issues like he's touching upon them i, I can't pull together some
2: overarching
0: philosophy i I, right. I but like there seems to be saying something about gender
1: um and, but even those ideas are pinned on this very what you know trans activists would call gender essentialist views it's like i freed you from your macho prison so right away he's just whatever he thinks he's saying about gender is based on this idea that you know men are one way and women are this way. Mm-hmm. It's extremely simplistic and binary and sort of it's using everything that trans people are trying to explode.
0: Okay, wanna cut over to Walter now. There's a couple things here. I, I revere this man as a director, so this is very difficult for me. We, we'd save the assignment till later. Uh, there's a lot of things I wanted to talk to him about. He's an amazing writer, he's an amazing director. Um, and uh, you know so there's one other quick thing here is is that uh, Walter and I had a kind of comical interview where uh, we had to switch locations four different times like one time a woman walked into the room and just started having our conversation and and, and then and then we were in this hotel and we got put in this other room and the fire alarm went off I cut this together as best I can um, but if you you know and i tried to also preserve what you know there was one question that he answered four different times because it got interrupted so uh, if things feel a little jumpy in the middle when we're talking about point blank and and uh, i think probably at one point you can hear me swear underneath my breath when the fire alarm goes off but but we did our best and walter was a real champ and he, he's a good guy i mean i i you know i i think this film is a misstep and i I think what people are saying about it needs to be heard and needs to be said and and you know maybe that's the best thing is for us to have conversations i i just it just felt like to me when
1: i saw he had a new film like this i is can like, hear you, the you, pain you, in I, your you voice know, person. i mean if it, nothing else it gives us sigourney weaver in a tie yeah so there's that
0: and, and I, I you know I, I maybe what i could ask is and and for you i don't think you're familiar with some of those early films like well, go watch dude don't don't watch the assignment again watch, right. watch drive oh, it's driver the driver's yeah. like the driver is pure cinema it's it's amazing and you can see so many things and it's not just that he's great at these action scenes there's something that this guy's doing i mean this, this is a, this is a very very talented filmmaker um and so uh, you know please take this for what it's worth but like let's also engage in a conversation about all these things and the assignments jude thank you for your time thank this you, is walter Chris. hill and like i said uh filmmaker toolkit podcast every thursday at least through august um and um I've already started to record some of the next ones, so it should. Be. we're here, sorry for the little break. There was something I came across, a quote that you said that I, that I wanted to, to explore a little bit. Not all of your films, most of your films are not westerns, but you had talked about the fact that in some way, all of them kind of at their core are, are westerns. What, what did you mean by that?
2: Well, it's one of those <laughs> statements one makes uh, <laughs> kind of left-handed, and then... Uh, it sounds good. <laughs> it seems to sound good, and then uh, I get asked about it <laughs> with great frequency over the years. I can't even remember when I said it. Uh, but I think what I meant, and again, it's all a little vague, but I, I'm, I'm really... Uh, I like story. I like action stories, number mm-hmm. one. I like uh, uh, characters that prove themselves against the odds, shall we say, or against certain kinds, push up against certain kinds of narrative circumstance, and that do not avail themselves to the normal avenues of uh, remonstrance to their difficulties. They have to kind of deal with it in terms of their own character. And that seems to me to be the basic idea of the Western. Um, but I always say about westerns, you know, that the greatest attraction of making westerns is really your, it's like walking, uh, when you get past the the physical beauty of making westerns, the horses, the open country, the mm-hmm. costumes, uh, all that's very pleasant to be around and to be able to work with. but. Uh, But I think that the deepest kind of fun about making Westerns is you're really kind of motoring around in the world of the Old Testament that uh, uh, the stories tend to be that kind of very fundamental, uh, uh, those fundamental ideas of stories that we learned when we were a child and, and that are a couple of thousand years old uh, and still have resonance.
0: And also in that sense of um, whatever the character is struggling with, it's, str- it's kind of like on a larger scale, like kind of put on like a larger moral universe and also that often comes down to a shootout or comes down to some piece of action or conflict in, in this kind of taking, uh, taking that biblical moral but also putting it on in, in, in a very
2: specific conflict way, right? Well, they tend to yes end up in confrontations, uh, singular confrontations at the end. Not always, but um, you know, any general truth there are exceptions in, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with storytelling. I think. But um,
0: one thing that's interesting is is you started your career off uh, writing, and a lot of what you wrote were films that. Were similar. I don't know if they would have been Walter Hill. I mean, they would have been Walter Hill films if you had made them. But they—they were something like the Getaway was cut from a similar cloth to the type of film that you ended up ended up making. Was was writing something when you were first starting off? Where you kind of figured out what kind of movies you wanted to
2: make, or was it just more instinctive than that? In that sense of, I think in the end it was more instinctive. The uh, I certainly always wanted to be a writer director. I think for the first. uh, hour that I had started making uh, my presence uh, (laughs) (laughs) in Los Angeles. uh, I had come back uh, from school. I'd been going to school in Michigan. I'd been going to school in Mexico City and then in Michigan. I came back to Los Angeles to go in the Army. I failed the Army physical, childhood asthma, and I uh, through a kind of couple of accidents Started making a living uh, in the motion picture world. Uh, it was something that I had never imagined I could ever do. Uh, I always loved films, but the idea that maybe I could make a living at it came as a great surprise to me. And suddenly I was in it. But I knew right away what I wanted, which was I wanted to be a, a writer and director. And um, it's the old thing, you know. Beware what you wish for. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it comes true. And uh, um, when you're reading a bad review or something, you know, you say to yourself, "This is, this is what I was waiting for." Huh? <laughs> so, um,
0: the reason I'm bringing up the writing so much is that I feel like your filmmaking is often described as, as, as so sparse and so lean, and 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 and, and it's what I appreciate. But. In looking back about the way that you got started as a writer and saw that you had commented on a film that I, I, I love quite a bit called uh, Point Blank, John Borman's late 60s film. And talking about how reading that script and seeing the sparseness of the language and how that was written, was, it was a
2: huge impact on you. Oh, it was a great revelation to me. Uh, Alec Jacobs wrote it. He was a, a wonderful writer. But the, the script was written in a, in a very strong and very spare style. And one of my dispiriting objections, I think, at that time in my life was that I was very familiar with Hollywood scripts, reading scripts, and they all seemed to be written to a kind, they all seemed to be written by the same person, and they all seemed to be written to a kind of format that uh, was not not particularly interesting to read, God knows. Anyway, I knew uh, screenwriter Alex Jacobs, who had written Point Blank, he gave me a copy of the script, uh, I'd already admired the film. And when I read the script, it was a bit of a revelation. It was written in such a spare uh, and uh, evocative style, and the, uh, the dialogue was so clipped and uh, not flowery. Uh, you know, he used to say that the best dialogue was fill her up, buddy, or, you know, or something like that. It was, um, you know, nothing to do with grand interior speeches uh, that worked for the cinema I'm always I say this constantly it rarely gets printed but I always see films I don't understand why they're particularly made Uh, they're conventional entertainments I I guess but the uh, but they don't seem to be to be the essence of what makes movies movies and what makes them kind of interesting at least to me and I don't by the way I do not mean you need thundering herds and raging gunfights by that Uh, but um, there are certain interior attitudes that I think literature will always do much better than, um, than film and there are certain surface levels that approach and reveal character in different ways and literature can and that those are the real stuff of the cinema.
0: And those moments where character is expressed through external action, movement, reaction, right? And, that, and, that, and, and that's one. I have read a couple of your scripts and one thing that I, I've noticed is, is that they're sparse in their language but really what you're also getting at is, 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 is those key moments in which those things are revealed. It is that essence of what, of what your, your film is going to be.
2: Well, you must have revelation. Yeah. You uh, you know a complete cipher will not work. You you are doing a drama, and there are certain if not rules, there are certain uh, givens, mm-hmm. and uh, the audience has certain expectations. I, my interest in genre films. One of the things that I've always been kind of amazed by. It it makes your task a little difficult, but. Uh, you know in in most genre films the ending is given uh... and therefore how do you entertain the audience Mm -hmm. Uh, they uh... if you're going to make a um, oh I don't know for example a Clint Eastwood Dirty Harry movie the one thing that everybody in the audience knows is Clint is not going to get shot dead at the end of the movie uh... therefore Given the and the, the bad person, the wicked person, will. Therefore, there is no the the, the drama becomes about how do you stage and present a dile- the dilemma of the end of the movie. Take the protagonist through the difficulty and all that business, uh, but at the same time, the end is is for is foretold, and yet you still must entertain the audience. That's the dilemma of genre filmmaking, but, uh, but audiences love it because they love, they love the hero to win.
0: Mm-hmm. And the last one before we get into the new film, which I definitely want to talk about. I rewatched um, Driver this weekend, uh, which personally I think is my favorite of yours. I have a lot of ones that I really, really love, but that one for me also speaks to something very specific about how you do action. I'm watching these getaway chases, and I'm getting away. You know, I'm, I'm watching it, and the mechanics of how they work. And so often in these action scenes now, everything is about some spectacle or some some crazy thing. In yours, there's something about the fact that when um, that character sets up the police cars to crash. It's, it's an A, B, C, D. It's like, you can see the turn, you can see the width of it, you can see the mechanic, and, and to the point that, that you can almost completely understand how he's run them into the side of a trash can or something. And there's, a, there's something that is so satisfyingly uh, mechanical and so sharp and precise in the way that you do action, in addition to it being some kind of an extension of that main character. Is that, with, with your action scenes, are these things that you really pre-think out and that, your are your action scenes something that you uh, pre-think out that, that they're really, I, I guess the word would be storyboarded, but that, that kind of preciseness and the way that everything's going to fit together?
2: Well, I often write them rather precisely, but then that goes out the window usually. when uh, I think you should always try to work at an instinctive level. Um, But you have to have an idea ahead of letting your instincts to, you know, it's backwards. So you you work it out mentally and then you try to let your instincts take over for the more visceral. Because filmmaking is visceral. Uh, I'm very pleased about what you just said about The Driver because, you know, uh, I was doing a film not terribly long after... uh, Bullet and the French Connection, and uh, what was the other? The Seven Ups, where they had done really extraordinary work in terms of car chases. Um, but the only thing that, in in the car chase sense, that was unique in the driver was that several of the chases were at night, right. and and which is always yet more difficult when you're when you're uh, filmmaking. But there, there were these really wondrous uh, achievements of the previous 10, 12 years, I guess it was. And uh, so, my, my uh, bullet you know, was ki- bullet was kind
0: of that uh, standard at that point, I would imagine, right? Is that the is well? The,
2: I don't know. I mean, I think the French Connection okay. was uh, bullet was was a chase that was very precise mm-hmm. and beautifully done. The French Connection was rough around the edges right. and I think uh, was less spectacle, cinema spectacle and more rough around the edges and real and it got you into a, a different kind of uh, and also the persona again persona of Gene Hackman and the persona of um, Steve McQueen are very different right, right. and uh, I'm trying not to be pejorative. I worked on *Bullet*. I was, I was the second assistant director on *Bullet*, but uh, I think they're both great pinnacles of achievement, cinematic achievement. And suddenly, I was going to make a, a film a that drink. was in conversation with these. Yeah, that was in conversation. <laughs> and uh, what it seemed to me that I was the the contribution that I might might be able to make was that the chases were contained within the character's head. In other words, both in Bullet and The French Connection, the characters were caught up in a situation that was suddenly upon them and demanded their physical, mental resources, their uh, their innate courage to and and, uh, nerve to get them through the situation. Mm. My chases are really about a character that's pre-arranged, The he hopes he gets away but at the same time he has pre-thought the situation and you see, hopefully, you see him controlling the situation in a way that uh, doesn't reproduce simply reproduce the energy of the other two films that was, again, I, uh, let me say how beautifully done they both were. Oh, of course. I, I,
0: Edgar Wright was down in um, South by Southwest uh, showing a Baby Driver, which he, he, he was not shy about uh, saying that uh, the driver in the title of his film was, was inspired by, by your work and uh, he had joked that it's taken him uh, some time to convince you. That the driver is a is a masterpiece. He says he's been working on you for uh, a while about that.
2: <laughs> well, he's been very kind in his assessment of the movie. I um, uh, uh, I, I think you know. Look, I think discussions of your own work are uh, largely futile. <laughs> um, that's for you to. I, I you know, mm-hmm. it's a movie I did what thirty five almost forty years ago. Yeah, almost forty years, yeah. 40 years, yeah. And uh, you know you. Uh, and like all these things, it was not only what you see it to be, but it was for me a social experience, a uh, uh, career experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I I preferred to kind of direct my thoughts onto the now and the next rather than
0: let's talk about the next.
2: Try to figure out the past.
0: The new film, The Assignment. Uh, it has a backstory that I, I I'm not overly familiar with. You first did this as a comic, am I correct about this, or it was? No.
2: No, the, uh, the original script was written by Dennis Hamill, uh-huh. but I can never get this right, if it was 1977 or 78. A while ago. A while ago, uh, while I was doing The Driver, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, about that time, when I was doing The Driver and the Warriors. And uh, it came to my attention. Uh, the script was sent to me, and I thought it was this, really, uh, you know, it was very different, and it was very it had a lurid uh, idea at uh, at the core, and I was fascinated by it. And I, uh, I was very busy, and I did nothing with it, but it it hung in my mind for. I guess close to 20 years, it then came to my attention again. I called Dennis, I optioned the material, it was still available. Uh, I optioned the material and I did a screenplay with somebody else, uh, not Dennis, and uh, I then abandoned the screenplay, I didn't think I did a good job on it. We, we took some turns that didn't pan out. and. Uh, and I allowed the material to lapse again, uh, and then ten, twelve years later, literally wandering through my basement, uh, I ran into Dennis's uh, original. I read it very quickly, reread it, uh, and had one of those moments where I kind of figured out how to do it. I mm-hmm. suddenly figured out how to do it. I knew that I wanted to make lot of basic changes from Dennis's original story which was was kind of a very bad boy juvenile delinquent who was a rapist and then suddenly he was into that situation against uh, uh, a doctor who was Mm -hmm. plastic surgeon male doctor and uh, and and I figured it out I think in terms of uh, the tales from the crypt that I had done a few years before. Do you direct of, an episode of the HBO I episode? I directed three mm-hmm. and I was one of the producers on on the show. And um, and I thought if you did the did this piece in that spirit, you might have something that uh, kind of held together because there's a, a whole level of non reality to this story. I mean, you know, it It takes place in a very special fantasy world, but nobody wants to be in a fantasy world. It has to create its own reality. And so I thought that that kind of comic book, graphic novel world. Anyway, got the film set up, uh, and about the same time that it was being set up, made a deal. I had written a graphic novel which was published in France about two years before. I was in Paris getting this. Based
0: movie. on this story, based on a different story, or
2: no? This was that was a different one. Okay. Uh, it's it's coming out in English right now called Trigger Man, uh-huh. but it uh, it's a '30s gangster piece. But while I was in Paris getting the finance for what was then called Tomboy, uh, now the assignment, uh, I was in contact with the people that published my gangster piece as a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. And I gave them this one, they wanted to do it as a graphic novel so, but it, they, they took it from the script that, that we had so the, it was Dennis's script, it was then Dennis's script with me, which then became the graphic novel. Got it, okay. Sorry, I mean, probably sorry you asked. <laughs> but, but that was actually the, the way it all unfolded.
0: What, what about, and it seems like it's evolved a little bit, but what was it about, yeah, let me actually take a big step back here. This film in a lot of ways um, has is able to draw, I'm able to draw a very distinct connection between, between a lot of your work. I'm curious, what was it about the element of a gender reassignment that was a story element, because I mean that's at the core of this. We have a hitman who, uh, out of revenge um, for someone that he killed, a, a doctor essentially kidnaps um, him and 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 converts him into a woman. That's not a spoiler, right? That's kind of that's kind of upfront in this. And so, what was it about? And then so the rest of the story is 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 that is that Frank Kitchen character kind of, you know going on his own revenge or her own revenge streak and also kind of resolving what's going on, um, what, what what's happened to her. What, what was it about that element um, that kind of really drew you in? Because that's a, that's a storyline that comes well. b- baked in with it with a lot of weighted societal, a lot of weighted gender issues, a lot of, uh, in particular today in terms of the, you know, I imagine dealing with transgender issues in 2016, is completely different than than 1979, too.
2: Indeed, uh, well let me offer a corrective to that. Okay, sure. Uh, I've always seen this as a movie about revenge, mm-hmm. that uh, it's a tale of double revenge, the doctor for the perceived wound to her family issues, the uh, character of Frank Kitchen to The uh, uh, genital alteration. It is not a story about transgender. Mm -hmm. Transgender is a very different thing than genital alteration. Frank Kitchen is a guy. Frank uh, arrives as a fellow and he wakes up when he has been genitally altered a fellow inside his head. Every scene in the movie he is a fellow mm-hmm. inside his head uh, and is still at the end of the movie. Now this possibly is made a little more abstruse, if that's the word, by the fact that I cast a woman to play Frank after he's been genetically altered. It is correct to really refer to Frank all the way through though as he. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh the movie has been attacked by those uh how do I put this very sympathetic to the transgender movement mm-hmm. uh, as if it was somehow threatening to those ideas i don't uh, I see the movie as totally supporting the transgender notions as far as I can see mm-hmm. uh that is to say you are who you are inside your head and therefore Uh, And that's the determinant factor. Uh, Therefore Frank's attitudes are very consistent with transgender theory. But again, uh, as I say, it was written in the 1970s really, and uh, uh, it took me a bit by surprise that all this kind of became somewhat controversial. I don't think it's, you want to know the truth, I don't think it is very controversial it's been attacked by mainly by people that haven't seen the movie Mm. Uh, well almost nobody's seen the movie yet it it isn't out yet I think that to attack things when you haven't seen them or read them Mm. puts you in a rather intellectually weak position to begin with so I'm not even sure a lot of that dialogue is very productive if if after the movie's seen I really can't imagine it would be perceived to be in any way unsympathetic to the transgender. No, there are plot elements that deal with genital alteration. That's not what the movie's about. The movie's about revenge and what the animus within the characters, is. uh, both characters, is all about revenge. And the movie leaves both, I'd like to think, uh, sadder but wiser. They've both evolved to... uh, Uh, She's a bullying intellectual who does both good things and terrible things. Uh, Frank is a Darwinian survivor of the lowest part of the criminal world. And they both uh, evolve into something, I think, higher. They don't become saints (laughs) uh, by any means. Uh, that, That, I think, would be dishonest. Right but I think that they both evolve in a way that leaves themselves, as I put it, sadder but wiser. And I think that there's a residual of um, uh, sympathy for both characters within the audience by the time the, the film is done.
0: Walter Hill, thank you for your time. Thank you for also bearing with us doing a couple uh, location moves here. And uh, best of luck with the movie.
2: Thank you very much.